0: You're listening to the Lifelong Learning Podcast, a platform to connect educators across the globe and expand on our learning environments research spanning from pre-primary to university and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by your host, Learning Environments Treasurer, Dr. Paul Ryken, a principal of a large college in South Australia and a research fellow with Curtin University in Western Australia.
1: Hello everyone. And thank you for joining us for our fourth podcast, in learning environments, and particularly today, we are going to welcome Associate Professor Rika Kuhl. And Rika, you're most welcome to our podcast. You are currently at Curtin University in Western Australia. You've been part of our SIG for many, many years, and currently you are the chair of our learning environment SIG, SIG 120. Uh, We are just at the cusp of the next AERA meeting to be held at San Diego. And unfortunately, you and I can't be there in person, but we're definitely going to be there in heart and mind, But today we're here to just learn a little bit more about you and hear from you about how you got yourself involved in learning environments. But before I do that, I wonder whether you could share with us what you're currently doing at Curtin University and perhaps some of the interesting work that you are working with at the moment.
0: First of all, Paul, thank you for having me and inviting me to talk about my experiences, current and in past. Coming to my current research yes at Curtin, uh, i'm an associate professor it's a teaching and research role in addition to whatever teaching i'm doing which is in the area of research methods uh, like training undergraduate and postgraduate students how to conduct research and being a researcher in learning environment. I have some projects currently, um, which are funded, or certain which are in, uh, you know, coming up. My one of the most important projects currently I'm engaged in is a is ARC funded project where we are looking at the emotions, students' emotions in the classroom. Um, Since I came into learning environment research, I did look at the elements which our past uh, predecessors had not uh, tapped into. Possibly they were not of importance at that time, and changing of times required something else. So I realized that Uh, with, you know, mental health issues and whatever is happening in society, not only in Australia, around the world, emotions was something which uh, we as educationists, we have not looked at all Uh, and there was nothing, not even a single questionnaire either in learning environments or any other educational fields, uh, which was validated. Although a questionnaire was developed in U.S. and Harvard University, but nothing was validated. So we worked on that questionnaire. We validated it for use in schools as well as university level. Uh, I looked at but why is it important is uh, we we do give lots of m- m- importance to the cognition in the classrooms, but cognition will not happen unless and until students are emotionally balanced or have the positive emotions. That's a project which I thought has given us great results and we will, you know, take it further. And this other project which I am currently working on is looking at the influence of air quality on student cognition. As you would know, coming, and here I'm collaborating with some colleagues from health sciences and engineering, we are looking at the quality of air in the classroom, the thermal uh, comfort in the classroom and how it is impacting the student behaviors. We are, Classrooms are built to the Australian standards, even if we are a, develop, a developed country here. But when you we look at it, the cuts in the classrooms are according to standards. But when you look at the classroom, they can't open the window. So it's, it's become more significant during the COVID times. And this research will be done here in Australia, as well as overseas in countries where air quality is very poor. So we are going to see if we improve the air quality, how it's going to impact again on student cognitive behaviours. These are two major research projects I'm currently involved in.
1: Arika uh, thanks so much for sharing those two really important projects, and and I'm really really excited about w- where you have um, moved to, particularly in the area of learning environments. Often we talk about the relationship between the educator and the student, and the students and the students. We talk about the delivery of the curriculum, we talk about the way we may assess students, etc. But now you're bringing another dimension, and that is the physical layout of the classroom, the air quality, potentially even you know the color scheme in the classroom. Often different things affect uh, students' uh, well-being and focus of mind. So very interested in your conversation. And it also leads to architects and how they build these new buildings now. Uh, they think that air conditioning now is enough to displace air. But in fact, there are other factors that you will bring into this, this study, I'm sure. So very excited to learn more about that. The other thing, of course, around the emotions, that's a, a really important piece of work, particularly in relation to the current effects of COVID and long periods of lockdown and students being isolated, disconnected and and being online with their learning. So very interested to hear what else transpires from that, that work. Now that students are beginning to adapt back into a face-to-face learning environment and being reconnected with their peers. So yeah, it, it's interesting. And I know you've recently published a couple of um, journals in that area too, haven't you? Yeah,
0: a few, few of us came out of that. Emotional classroom, emotional climate.
1: So, so Rika, you know, we, uh, we journey, uh, but the journey must have started somewhere for you. And it started in India when you began your uh, higher degree learning. And so tell us a little bit about your beginnings in academia. What, what were your passions and how did you get to be at Curtin today? T- tell us a little bit about that journey. Um,
0: why? background. Going back, I would say I always was wanted to be a change maker, bring a positive change in society wherever I was. And uh, although I, I qualified, my undergrad and master's degrees were in science-based, but I started as a classroom teacher for a very brief time, nearly six months before I joined my first PhD, which I never completed. And coming from India, I, as you know, um, there are lots of poor and poverty could be because of the wrong practices. And I was, my first PhD was looking at the faulty breastfeeding practices. As I said, my degree was in sciences and we had high incidence of child mortality and morbidity. So could we improve the breastfeeding practices to counter Uh, you know, child mortality rates, that was, and that's where I came in contact with poor women. And uh, my first job started as educating that women, that set of women in better ways of living. And it was through a university as a researcher. So I knew very well early on, I know education is the change maker, but that education, it should be based on sound research. We can't bring in a change. On my perception, it has to come from the ground where we are trying to make a change. So my first job in university, we're back in Kashmir, where I come from, where I was born and brought up. Although my PhD was in an interstate university, was working with women and trying to lift their standard of living because I knew that woman is the nucleus of family. If I educate a woman, I educate whole family. They will have better standards for their children and all. But uh, as you would know, most people know Kashmir is uh, a disturbed political zone, and I belong to a minority community. A time came when I had left my city for a short vacation. I couldn't go back. I continued my research work in New Delhi, but a few years later... I realized or the family realized that we couldn't fit in the heat of Delhi and eventually migrated to Australia. Soon after coming here, I knew what I'm going to do, but I had always been in research and academia. And that was my take. And first place which accepted me as a Ph.D. student was Curtin University. They welcomed me. And uh, that time, Science and Mathematics Education Center, which was at the top five educational research institutes uh, of the world, had very bright researchers, high productivity researchers, and I was really lucky to end up with them. And I found learning environments was an area which could bring up change in the world again i'm not only uh, focused on india because that's what my research is it's scattered all over the world over the years we could bring up a positive change and i uh, started my phd study in learning looking at the existing learning environments and teacher student interactions with in india and that was the start and uh, after that i never looked back and i continued my research in this area and now my dream is to see every classroom teacher as a
1: researcher. Yes, fantastic, and and that's really what underpins, you know, what we believe in in learning environments is that we approach our classroom setting as an opportunity to be part of that action research, uh, that opportunity to collaboratively work together with all those that are part of that learning environment. But I was really interested in your thinking now because we came together as a SIG and Barry Fraser um, and others who were instrumental in starting that. But of course, you're you're heading at the moment the, um, you've got the important role of leading us. In fact, you are completing your term as chair, but I'm interested to hear from you about what you've learned over the last number of years, perhaps even the last decade in learning environments with the American Education Research Association. What, what, has, what has been some interesting findings um, when we bring people together from across the world?
0: Before I talk about AERA, uh, I really need to salute people who started a learning environment SIG in AERA, which could be Betty Fraser, Theo Wobbles, even people before that. Uh, it is because of their hard work. The SIG was established, and I can understand how many difficulties and the red tape they would have to jump to come across the line and put this SIG into being. Personally, what and it's our responsibility, it's an onus on us to make sure that the SIGs survives and sustains. And when we leave it, when I leave academia, it is in a better health than I found it. Personally, I have been, I would say somewhere in 2005 would have been the first AERA I attended in San Francisco. And it was a really a fertile ground for us, I, learning environment researchers, because you read someone's work. It's, it's putting a face to the name you have known. And then discuss uh, and listen to people who have done research in these areas and exchange your ideas. Uh, I ended up uh, having uh, projects with uh, researchers around the world because of associations created in that SIG. And that's what we need to do. Further, As a leaving person, I don't think I, I may be leaving the leadership role of learning environments, but I'll continue there as long as I can, because that, that's the only platform which is giving me continuation of what's happening in learning environments around the world and meet with colleagues and um, not only colleagues, even their students, mentor the younger generation. That's one of the major roles now we have to play and make sure that learning environment research survives and we may have to make certain changes, look at how the educational um, field is changing. We have seen lots of changes in last two years at least uh, and see what is current and what is applicable and come up with policies and procedures. Technology has given us a big platform where we can collaborate successfully without traveling and, you know, proceed and propel.
1: Yeah, fantastic, Rika. You know, you you reminded me of the importance that wherever we are working, whichever country, whichever state, you know, we bring a particular local touch to our work. But by coming together at the annual meeting, we are actually in global reach, the global reach of bringing everyone together. And I think that's the fertile ground, I believe, in furthering what we do. It's been interesting about the effect of COVID. And I know you've done a bit of work behind this, you know, the the effects of, and particularly online platform. Can you just give us some insights from your work at the moment about the impact of COVID on learning and learning environments? Well, what have you seen? Um, and what are you predicting, you know, is going to be our road out of COVID?
0: Some people like to think that we are out of COVID, but I would say we are still in COVID. Out of COVID, we can look at it different levels one first one would be student level because they are the end gainers of educational journey and if we look at educational institutions as businesses students are the main clients and their experience matters the most to us in my research we did with students we had we were really lucky here in Perth. we didn't have any community transmission Till end of 2021. Uh, we closed down that to not fully for only for 10 weeks in early 2020. I think it was from late March 2020 till somewhere in June, May, maybe. Uh, but when I asked students, I have a published paper with this uh, data, students preferred face-to-face interactions more. So come what may we know for sure that students will prefer face-to-face. Then the other bit, we we know the adverse effects of COVID, but I doubt that we will ever go back to the normal pre-COVID. We will have a new normal. How will it look like? I think we will have more technology Integrated in teaching, not only in teaching, even in uh, you know academic interactions, having conferences, having interviews, but will we be able to get rid of uh, technology, which we have learned to incorporate in COVID times? I doubt that. So, in a way, this adversity is being used, will be used in educational levels as a new opportunity. It is not only at classroom level and school teaching, I think we will have um, classes across the globe, you know, merging and teaching together. Use of micro-credentialing will, ha- will happen more uh, in future, and COVID has taught us that. And, you know, whatever we practiced during COVID, uh, that will be practiced much more. As far as learning environments are concerned, obviously, when the practices are changing, the learning environments will be changing. It will be, we may have to look at... The use of different technologies, how is it impacting students? I recently got a publication, it was a conference proceedings, where we had use of AI, artificial intelligence, in educational technologies. So it may not be a broad brush technology, it would be what type of technology and what sort of learning environment it is developing. And um, One thing what I realized, and uh, currently I have two students working on that, uh, in learning environments, we have not taken into consideration the special education students with special needs. That is, uh, again, a gap area. And uh, yes, we are using technologies. I have two students who are developing artificial intelligence programs for blind students, because blind students still now coming from, again, being a science educationist and STEM educationist, we we know students cannot, blind students cannot study high-level maths and chemistry, which is sciences. So we are working on developing those programs where blind students can study or can take up high-level maths like calculus and organic chemistry so that they we can channel them into Science fields when they come to university. So, what sort of learning environments are we developing once we have students there? So, that that those are the changes which will happen in times to come.
1: Thank you, Rika. Wonderful. You know. As one door closes, another one opens. That's how I always see things, and you have you have explained that exquisitely, beautifully done. Uh, and I'm particularly interested, you know, in the ongoing developments with technology, particularly in terms of the delivery. I think our students are very good at being adept to using technology, but for those that have to deliver, it sometimes is a bit of a challenge. I must say. But having said that, though, uh, opportunities exist. So uh, thank you for sharing those thoughts. I wonder, as a final question, really, as we're trying to grow the membership of the uh, the SIG be interested to hear your thoughts about how we encourage the classroom teachers and other people who are involved in education to be part of um, our endeavor and our learning environment what's going to attract them what what is the what is the hook that brings them into wanting to learn more about our work
0: i personally believe what has happened till now mostly researchers go from outside see teachers as a product and Okay, I'm coming into your classroom to research and it is subordination relationship, unless it's a relationship of partnership, because teacher in the classroom is much more experienced than a researcher who's coming, who has an outsider perspective, unless there is a partnership and teachers are made to realize the value research will bring into their classroom they are not going to come on board. That's one bit. Second bit is here in Australia, especially in Australia, government policy is to be influenced. Our government doesn't give any recognition for higher education to our teachers. Unless that is recognised uh, an increment or two, we won't have... What's the carrot for these teachers to engage in research? There has to be a reward for them. Uh, That would be the second one. Uh, And uh, lastly, I would think as researchers, we have to look at the passionate teachers who see value in it. And then once they demonstrate what they have gained out of the research, other teachers in the classroom, uh, in the school will join them, which uh, Barry Fraser in the past has called multiplier effect. That's what we will have to work on to get more and more teachers. And they, they have to, There has to be some take-home message for them. They have to see benefit in joining the learning environment, unless they get value for their time, the resource. Time is the most valuable resource we have. They are not going to join it. Yeah, demonstrate it actively.
1: Rika, it's been absolutely terrific having you today on the podcast. It was wonderful listening to your thoughts, your experiences, and certainly to learn much more about you as well. Uh, from the Learning Environment SEEK, I, I get this opportunity at this podcast to really extend our thanks to you for, you know, your leadership as well for the SEEK and your continued interest, and we're really delighted that you're going to hang around and be part of our future. So, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. We really enjoyed listening to you, and hopefully we um, we will hear more about what's unfolding In learning environments in the near future as well. So, thank you for today and all the best.